0: Welcome to Ballers with Babies, I'm Mark Willard. Today we know so much about what athletes and sports personalities do, but not so much about who they are, what makes them tick, what's life like the moment the stadiums and TV cameras go dark. Most go home to their families. We want to know what that after-hours experience is like. Ballers with Babies explores their upbringing, their home life, how it's affected by their high-profile job, and how that high-profile job is affected by the home life. On Ballers with Babies, we talk to some of the most interesting names in sports and find out how they're even more interesting than we realized. And don't worry, diehard fan, we'll get to the important sports questions as well. This is your favorite people like you've never heard them before. I hope you enjoy. Okay, let's get Lee Steinberg in here on the Ballers with Babies podcast. You know him, of course, as... Uh, a, a major sports agent the sports agent not too long ago and lee now you're you're back would would you describe it that way by the way you're back
1: <laughs> mark i don't think i ever went anywhere <laughs> but uh, i did take some time off uh to deal with some personal issues uh and now we've got a new firm uh but you know, we're building it, it's going well. We have uh we started in football and we'll move to to baseball and basketball, all with the same philosophy I've always had, which is the athlete's role model, retracing their roots. So they go back to the high school community, set up a scholarship fund, they go to the collegiate area, set up a college scholarship fund like Troy Eichmann did at UCLA. Uh, and then at the pro level set up a charitable foundation that uh, attacks some issue that the athlete cares about. So that's where work done is put the 170th single mother and their family into the first home they'll ever own by making the down payment and moving them in. So it's athletes changing lives.
0: You know, I always think of you, I'm sure most do, as a football agent. You mentioned branching out into basketball and baseball as well. What's going to go into that for you?
1: You know, at our height, uh, Jeff Morad and I had 60 baseball clients. So we had uh, Pudge Rodriguez and uh, Sean Green and and Will Clark and and CC Sabathia. So I've done baseball really since I did Carney Lansford who won the batting championship back in the 70s. Uh, In basketball, we've had a number of high lottery picks um, in the past. And uh, I've also done boxing with Lennox Lewis and Oscar De La Hoya, Olympic sports and everything else. So it won't be anything other than restarting what I've done before.
0: Uh, I love it. And and love seeing your name attached to so many great things that are out there again right now. A moment ago, you mentioned the personal issues. You've been uh, very forthcoming with uh, with your battle with alcoholism. I know you've spoken of how family was at the root of you originally seeking treatment and getting better. How, how did the entire experience affect your family relationships?
1: For a while, when I was still drinking, um, it alienated me, especially from one of my kids. Um, my marriage had already broken up. Uh, it, as a matter of fact, it, that was sort of a, one of the causes. Uh, and uh, But now that son works for me in my office. And uh, so all those relationships, my daughter, it never really frayed. My older son, it never really frayed. But you know my dad raised me Mark with two values one was to treasure relationships especially family and the second was to try to make a meaningful difference in the world and help people who could not help themselves and at the end of life you're fundamentally left with that were you a good father were you a good son and i knew i was failing on uh, both of those issues and eventually had an epiphany which is i'm not a starving peasant in darfur i I'm not named Steinberg in Nazi Germany um, you know I don't have cancer what excuse do I have not to get back into life and do what uh, I was raised to do
0: yeah that epiphany uh, and and drawing it all the way back to your dad uh, as a dad myself I, I love that idea that something could stick with with someone their entire lives that their dad uh, said to them years ago what what was your relationship like what what did, what did he mean to
1: you Oh, my father was really central to my life he had he was a principal in the l a city schools he was his whole focus was on human relations and fighting racism and he um uh, he He raised my brothers and I just with this sense of noblesse oblige that um that we would be judged at the end of life by how we had done in relationships and then <clears throat> whether or not we'd help people who can't help themselves and so you know, whether it was demining uh, uh Cambodia and, and, and Angola with uh, Secretary of State uh, Madeleine Albright or, or doing an anti-racism program. Uh, aside from my work in sports, I've always had projects to to fight bullying, to fight domestic violence, to get people motivated to understand that uh, climate change is here and it's real. Yeah. So um, those have always been uh my goals and then to stimulate the best in young people
0: uh lee you mentioned the three kids i know they're adults now uh update us on on their names and and how old they are now
1: so john is 31 and uh he's a writer uh lives in los angeles matt is 27 and he lives uh here in Newport Beach and, and, and works with me. and He just came back from a trip where he went to the New England-Kansas uh, City game and then Chicago-Green Bay, so uh, he's already a road warrior. Right. And then my daughter, Katie, is finishing her last uh, semester at Michigan State, and she's uh, going to move to Dallas uh, a- after graduation, and uh, we're we're job searching. What
0: What's it like having one of your children work for you? It's
1: uh, It's really fun from the standpoint that I get to see him every day. Yeah. And uh, I mean, if you were raised in a home, uh, you know, with a father who who wrote books, gave speeches, but but represented athletes, and uh, uh, somehow some of that rubs off. And uh, even though I was careful, Mark, to bifurcate, so if you'd walked into my house, there was nothing on the wall that had to do with me and what I did in a career. It was all about the kids. And so I sort of bifurcated those two worlds um, to allow them to, uh, you know, grow up and make the focus on them.
0: How did you go about saving the relationship with Matt?
1: Um, When you're an alcoholic, you make promises. And you say, this time it'll be different. This time I've got it. This time this. Well, you don't consciously mean to lie. But the cravings and the disease uh, pushes you into that situation. Um, So what was important was nothing I said. It was just watching me um uh commit to sobriety and it was having a sober father year after year after year um and uh, it it that's all he ever wanted and and so it's not a matter of making promises it's a matter of stacking up days and months and years and being able to um, demonstrate by your behavior what um Uh, you know, that you're a caring, loving father.
0: Do you view your clients as family?
1: I do in many senses. Take Warren Moon. He and I started back in 1978. We went through 23 years of uh, him playing in Canada and the NFL so by the end of it, and then he worked with me for a number of years, so I grew up with him. Um, and, and especially the earlier clients I grew up with because um, I wasn't very old. I mean, I was 25 when I started. And, um, and, and it's a different sort of relationship, Mark. You've got young men who are entering maturation. My job is to help stimulate the best in them. Uh, prepare them for second career. So the relationships are intimate. It's not like a typical lawyer with a client. It's uh, uh, this weekend I'll go to the Kansas City-Cincinnati game, and I'll see uh, Patrick Mahomes. But I won't just see him. I'll see his mother, his father, his girlfriend. Um, we'll all go back to his house. So uh, these relationships do become uh, familial.
0: So uh, it's so intimate, I- I'm wondering how it often starts. Like wh- what is the key to-, to landing a client and then building that-, that family relationship?
1: So I think the key in everything is listening skills. Can you draw out another human being and understand their deepest anxieties and fears and their greatest hopes and dreams? Can you understand where they live emotionally? Can you understand what their priorities and goals are? By careful listening, you're able to peel below the surface and really understand and and be able to bond with someone at a deeper level. And then it's sketching out a future for them, showing them from... The moment they would enter the scouting system uh to being drafted to to starting their career to working on charitable to working on endorsements um, to hopefully the Hall of Fame where I have nine players, and then into second career so that that the model is drawn cherry uh, who played safety for the Kansas City chiefs uh actually was an owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Ray Childress, retired Houston Euler, is actually a minority owner of the Houston Texans. So the point is, can you make the second career as exciting and impactful? And can you empower these athletes to do what retired SAC leader Bruce Smith did, which is to own part of the, one of the largest luxury hotels in Washington, D.C., and be president of a construction company? Can you be uh, Troy Aikman on on Fox? Can you be Steve Young on ESPN? Hmm. Can you be Desmond Howard uh, on game day? So it's all that.
0: You know, I, I've, I've wondered often about how someone in your position uh, sort of navigates something like this. For instance, you guys are – uh, obviously, very competitive in landing clients, but you also have a specific plan and guidance that you want to lay out for the player uh, that may not necessarily be exactly what they want to hear. So how do you sort of navigate that where, A, you're trying to land them as a client, but you can't just tell them what they want to hear?
1: So part of it is profiling. Um I probably would appeal to about 20% of the athletes coming into a draft because we talk about role modeling, we talk about second career, um, you know, we talk about good values. um, And a certain type of bright player with a little bit of heart is going to be attracted to that. There'll be many players who won't. Um, And I remember one time I had a running back in my office who said, Lee, no offense, but I'm my own charity and he ran the fastest forty yard dash out of my office I'd ever seen. <laughs> um, so the the key is to to profile and understand, you know, who you're talking to. So if you're meeting with um, Pat and Randy Mahomes, uh Patrick's parents, um, you already know um that the father's an accomplished uh former professional athlete, the mother raised her kid with certain values. That comes out very quickly. So very often, Mark, you're meeting with the family. There's somebody designated by the athlete as a screener. Uh, when they're in college to to filter through all the agent requests. So the, this process really starts by finding that person. And then you may meet with uh, parents for you know, a fairly long time before you ever meet with the player.
0: You know, I, I think I even saw something with the way you're handling Mahomes recently that goes in line with even if you think all the way back to the subject matter in Jerry Maguire, which is that you're advocating patience with Patrick, uh, not wanting to do a lot of endorsements right off the bat, let the play speak for itself and then worry about endorsements. Is that something that is kind of fundamental to your philosophy?
1: You know, we did that same thing with uh, Troy Aikman, Steve Young, and a number of other uh, quarterbacks and players. And the key to it is that if you're going to go into Kansas City, um, First of all, you have to show the people in the community that you actually care. But second of all, you have to prove to the owner, the general manager, the coach, and the players on the team that you're serious about football and football or baseball or basketball. But in that case, football is your number one priority. The other thing is the adjustment period. Um, When a college quarterback comes to pro football, they really can't read the field totally. The the game is paced so much faster, the players are so much better, and they move differently, and the defenses are confusing. The only remedy for that is to play game after game after game, and eventually it slows down. So in that first season, you're going to have some interceptions that the player will never make again. He might line up over guard instead of center. He might call in appropriate timeouts. So you'd like him to be able to mature. Now, the bizarre part about the Mahomes story is that um, I had been pushing those themes really hard. And then he comes out, his first three games and breaks an all-time record his (laughs) jersey goes to the hall of fame so you know it it, somehow the secret was out
0: (laughs) yeah I think he might be ready Lee but I I I get it it's it's funny too I wonder if you've ever uh, lost clients because of that thought And and I seem to remember years ago having a conversation with you maybe that was even one of the fundamental reasons you and and Matt Leinart split up, and it's nothing against Matt. He's a friend of mine today, but is that is that at the root of some of the, the breakups that an agent, or in particular your case, might experience?
1: You have to put the sport first and build success in the sport, and then everything else can flow from that. Once you've got a solid basis and you know what you're doing as a player, then the rest can happen. You can't put the priorities the other way. And it puts too much pressure on a player to be on every billboard all over the city. Then he throws an interception. It's like, who is this guy? Too big for his britches. Um, So, uh, yes, that can be a fundamental concept. But I talk about that in the process of recruiting. So... Um, I would describe that we wouldn't want to go too rapidly on endorsements. Now, every player in football coming out has the opportunity to do two endorsements before the draft. And one is trading cards, and that market has come back in a big way with Panini. So they can do a very profitable deal there. And the other is clothing and apparel, whether it's Nike or Reebok or one of the, those. So they already start the process, the the Elite players already start with a ton of money in their hand, and then they go ahead and, you know, sign a contract. And uh, it's not like they're hurting.
0: Okay, quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Green Solar Technologies. You know, summer's over, but you homeowners out there are still having to pay crazy electric bills. Have you thought about solar? I'm sure you've seen a lot of your neighbors and your friends going solar. Maybe it's time you checked it out and discover the incredible savings you'll enjoy when compared to the ever-increasing bills you pay your utility company. Green Solar Technologies has made going solar an easy, game-changing move. Call my guys at Green Solar today at 310-893-0099 to find out if solar makes sense for you. I bet it will. Call 310-893-0099. That's 310-893. 893-0099. 893-0099. Also, GST is growing like crazy and is hiring new ambassadors where, with very little effort, you can make a ton of money. To check it out further, ask your solar advisor at the 310-893-0099 number or go to greensolar technologies.com slash ambassador for additional info. Continuing with Lee Steinberg on Ballers with Babies. Uh, Lee, how is your relationship with the guys you repped back in the quote-unquote heyday, like Steve Young and Troy Aikman? How did that all hold up uh, during your years of struggle?
1: Um, it, it held up well because uh, I had been there. Friendship or any relationship is easy day to day. The test is what happens when things, when Things are tough. What happens when it might cost you something to be a friend? Are you there for someone? Well, I had always done that for other people, Um, and especially in the practice. For every tough moment that a player went through, most of which the public never knew, uh, but for every critical thing, I was there. And so um, the fact that I struggled with alcohol um, uh, was unfortunate to to those people, but they just wanted to see me get healthy again. And so I still have a relationship with Warren Moon and Troy Aikman and, you know, Bruce Smith and uh, you could go on and on. And um, because, again, we went through so much um, and nine of my clients are in the Hall of Fame.
0: Once everything got straightened out, why was it so important for you to kind of rebuild uh, the brand and the profile and everything right, right back in the same space where where you were before?
1: Um, it it there's a lot of detritus and destruction that comes when you struggle with substance, and so I needed to get back to work. And the quickest way to do it was to do the thing where I had so much brand. And, uh, and the other part of it is it's the initial reason why I've stayed with this for 44 years. I mean, next year will be my 45th draft. It's the fact that if you want to make a difference in the world, you take sports that are the vortex of focus. I mean, the NFL right now is not only the most popular sport, it is the most popular form of entertainment in this country. Yep. The top 17 Nielsen-rated shows nighttime in the month of September were all NFL football. So by being involved in a sport like that, you can make a tremendous difference. These The athletes in aggregate have raised almost billion a billion dollars for charity. And it gives me a platform to speak out on things that um, I think are important. I mean, fame and and profile are ethereal in the sense that they're like sandcastles on a beach. So you bifurcate your life and you don't get confused about your public role, but at the same time, it gives you uh, power to, to... I've spoken on 80 campuses. I give a speech a week around the country. I write for Forbes. Uh, it, it, it allows a voice to do two things. One is to advocate the best for sports, to try to make sports healthy, like what I've tried to do with the concussion issue. And the second is to try to use athletes to promulgate good values. So when I had Lennox Lewis, uh, the heavyweight champion, cut a public service announcement that said real men don't hit women. It could do more to permeate the perceptual screen young people put up against um, uh, authority figures, um, to deal with the issue of domestic violence. Um,
0: th- this is all such a great story. And, uh, and it's so great to see you kind of back on the, uh, the top of the mountain. I read a quote from your daughter. She said, quote, even at his worst, he was still a good dad. What what, <laughs> what is what does that quote do for you? <laughs>
1: um, it, um, uh, again, at the end of life, those are the critical relationships. Um, and, uh, you know, children do not ask to be born. They don't apply for for living status. We as adults make the choice to bring them into the world. And so at the least, we owe them stability, a sense of security, some fairly unconditional love, um, and all those things. So, the fact that I have such a close relationship with my daughter, you know, Mark, I don't know what sex your kids are, but you, you love your boys, I had two boys, but girls somehow insinuate themselves into your heart, you know, yes, in, a, in yes. a really fundamental way. Yes. And uh, uh, so I have a really special relationship with my 23-year-old daughter.
0: Boy, boy, can I relate. And by the way, I have two boys and a girl, J- just, just, like, <laughs> you just the, like you do. Exactly. That's exact same thing. Uh, leadership is in your DNA. That is so clear, uh, not just as an agent. You know, all the things you've done. You led the charge of non-relocation for the Giants and the A's and and the Rams, too, even though they ended up leaving uh, for St. Louis. Even in college at Cal, student government. I I read that you were a resident advisor in the dorms. Is that true?
1: So, uh, yeah, Berkeley was interesting back in the 60s. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I ended up being student body president, and the governor of California was Ronald Reagan. Yep. And every time we protested against the war in Vietnam, he would crack down. And uh, he and I had some uh, interesting uh, moments of, uh, <laughs> of conflict. And it was funny because later he gave me uh, a humanitarian award as president. But um, so... I was a grad counselor in an undergrad dorm while I was going to law school and they moved the freshman football team into the dorm and one of the students was Steve Barkowski. and he became in 1975 the very first player picked in the first round of uh, the NFL draft well Um, they didn't really have agentry then. Uh, A team could hang up the phone and say, especially the Mike Browns of the world at Cincinnati, would just slam the phone down and say, we don't deal with agents. We don't have to. Um, So it was a different time, but Barkowski was the first pick overall, and he got the largest rookie contract in NFL history. And when we got to Atlanta, there were cleat lights flashing in the sky. There was a... Crowd pressed up against the police line, and the first thing we heard was, we interrupted Johnny Carson show to bring you a special news bulletin. Steve Bartkowski, Lee Seinberg have just arrived at the Atlanta airport. And uh, so, so, you know, I, like... Dorothy looked at Toto, you know, <laughs> I, I, when I got to Michigan land, I know we're not in California anymore. And then I saw the out of worship and veneration that athletes are held in communities across the country.
0: Uh, so many different aspects of what you do. And I wonder, Lee, what is at the center of it all? If I asked you, what's your passion in life? How do you answer? Uh,
1: to be a good father and to make a positive difference in the world. To, to try and, <clears throat> to the extent I can, um, be a fundamental actor in life and, and uh, not be passive. So uh, one more quote from my dad. He used to say, when you're looking for they or them, to solve a problem, the amorphous they, older people, political figures, you know, someone mm-hmm. uh, to solve a problem as small as picking something off the ground or as big as uh, world hunger, and you keep waiting for them to do it, he would say, you could wait forever. And he'd look at me and say, the they is you, son. You are the they. So it fills you from childhood with, with a certain mission to try to 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 help people and to recognize need. In other words, when um, when the North Pole breaks up and, and we have endless hurricanes and tornadoes, you sort of get the sense that maybe something's happening with the climate and maybe we better do something about it.
0: Uh, I think that's incredibly well said. And I, I also, I'm so fascinated by all those things you're involved in, but then by also being an agent because while it may not be true, you know, the reputation of the world of agents is not, uh, you know, this charitable type of a profession, but you've blended these two things. And so I want to grab a portion of your book title, which is getting what you want without selling your soul and asking you to put that into words. How does a person do that? How do you get what you want without selling your soul?
1: By having a very fundamental uh, sense of values that you won't uh, exceed by refuting situational ethics. Situational ethics, you're good to dogs and cats, <laughs> you're a nice neighbor, <laughs> but then you go out in the workplace and do heinous things because, after all, it's just business. It's social Darwin. Um, that's a type of soul death. So the reality is that people who who use unethical tactics just aren't working hard enough. They're not creative enough, because they can get it done another way. And at the end of it, it's realizing that win-win negotiating and win-win um, uh, situations are, are the only way to navigate through life. Because, uh, for example, if I um, uh, lie to a general manager, I go out and, and embarrass him, I'm going to have to deal with him again. Um, so. I think that that whatever your ethics and values are, they have to be consistent at home and at work.
0: Home stretch with Lee Steinberg on Balls with Babies. Let's stick to sports. And, and Lee, you've detailed how many different athletes and sports uh, you've worked with. But I, I know people do kind of view you as a QB guru. So I wonder what your perspective is with the game today. Uh, for instance, what Patrick Mahomes is doing versus what Aikman and Young did how much easier is it to be a quarterback today?
1: I think it's harder, but I think the players are better prepared. I never had a client ever that started this quickly as Patrick Mahomes, where yeah. his first his first three games he's where he goes into Pittsburgh and beats Pittsburgh and where he's behind in Denver and he and he pulls the team back and and uh you know, all of that. It's uh I mean he scored forty the team scored 40 points uh, against New England, usually you're going to win 90% of your games when you score 40 points. But the point is that these quarterbacks have been identified earlier in life. They've been through seven-on-seven camps. Some of them have hired quarterback gurus to help them while they're in high school. And so they're better tutored and more ready than – the quarterbacks of, uh, yesteryear. And, um, the, the problem is, is that the spread is the offense that's played by a majority of football teams. And then when the player goes to the pros, there's doubt about whether he can, uh, adapt to a three, five, seven step drop or, um, uh, take the ball under center. Um, clearly they can. I mean, look at, Mariota or or Jared Goff or, or or Patrick. Um but um the athletes get bigger, stronger, faster as I said, what you need to look at is is there a system, a surrounding cast and good coaching to ease that transition. Um and if there is What we're seeing today is a whole new generation of quarterbacks replacing what, eventually, with the Philip Rivers and Tom Brady's and Eli Mannings and and uh, Drew Brees's, it'll be a generational shift. And so football's in good shape because we have this whole Jared Goff, Carson uh, Wentz, Patrick Mahomes, and on and on. They're those are the figures that the public knows, and we've got a great new crop of them.
0: It's still so early, you, you you have to wonder how much better is he going to get. How good can Patrick be?
1: Oh, he's got a very, very high ceiling. This is just watching him in an embryonic state. When he actually can read the field accurately, um, I mean, he's obviously playing well, but when he gets more experience, he'll be frightening because um, – um you know i can say now what i was reticent to say before which is he has a freakish arm yep. he can do things with a football in terms of um of uh, strength and accuracy i just haven't seen before and you know i've got three quarterbacks in the hall of fame and 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 one weekend had half the starting quarterbacks but he has the ability he here's what a great quarterback needs. In adversity, he's thrown a couple interceptions. The crowd is booing. The center's looking at the quarterback like he's on hallucinogens. And the, uh, uh, and the game's getting out of hand. What do you do then? Can you compartmentalize, adopt a quiet mind, tune out the extraneous, and then elevate your level of play? In that critical situation and take a team down the field on your back. That's how you get to the Super Bowl with a franchise quarterback. And that's what delineates um, a good starting quarterback from a franchise quarterback because, you know, the Aaron Rodgers of the world um, or Drew Brees or Tom Brady, no game is out of hand and they never give up. So Patrick already sort of has that. And um, when he really gets going, he'll be frightening.
0: Hey, what's the next move for Paxton Lynch?
1: So we're trying to be patient. He's on a guaranteed contract. So um, he gets paid a million three this year. Uh, not that he wouldn't like to be uh, on a team, but it every week the deck reshuffles. And um, we're trying to look for a place because we know he still can be a franchise quarterback in the right situation. Um, We're trying to look for an opportunity that gives him a chance to sort of restart his career. And uh, so when the right team comes along, you know, he'll end up signing there.
0: Lee, I'll let you leave us with this. I'm sure you get this five times a day. I get it a lot, too. I wonder how you answer it. What do you say when people come up and say, Lee, how do I get into sports?
1: We have actually three big programs. One is an agent academy uh, one, uh, which trains people who specifically want to be agents. We have an online course that goes through everything from sports TV and movies to to being an athletic director to do, be a facilities person. Um, and so we have that. And lastly, we have... Um, uh, a sports Career Conference, which we're having October 27th uh, up at Pepperdine. And you'll have panels, which will be every single part of it. And how you get into sports is you do differentiate yourself from other people. You have to not only network, but you have to don't just send a resume that's typed. Um, years ago, someone applied to our office and, and sent in a... Uh, Sports Illustrated. Well, Mark, it was Sports Illustrated. It was their font. It was their color. It was all of that. But um, every single article was about how we had hired this young man and how our firm was enhanced, and he's on the cover with me. Well, that was clever, and we hired him. So think outside the square. Uh, But you can go to our website, uh, SteinbergSports.com, and look up. We have a whole series of programs. I'm trying to mentor a new generation of ethical, principled, skilled sports professionals.
0: Well, uh, you're definitely the guy to do it. Uh, Lee, what a tremendous time to talk to you today. Really appreciate you doing it. Thank you so much.
1: My pleasure, Mark. Anytime.
0: All right, now that you finished another episode of Ballers with Babies, and I thank you for that, I want to invite you to search for and listen to the History of Stand-Up podcast with host Wayne Fetterman. You know Wayne. He was in Curb Your Enthusiasm and Step Brothers. Look, I watch Comedy Central all the time. You ever look at the booming stand-up comedy industry and ask, when did this start? How did this become what it is? The History of Stand-Up tells the story. From vaudeville to Netflix, each episode features special guests, like Judd Apatow and Julie Seaball. It's really interesting. It's a bunch of comics, so it's really funny as well. Check out the History of Stand Up podcast on CastBox now.